Bennington Banter. As always, thank you for listening, and make sure that you are subscribed wherever you get your podcast. Share it, rate it, review it, all that good stuff. Well, we hope you had a happy Thanksgiving, and in light of Thanksgiving and the midst of travel and things, we do not have a new episode for you this week, but we thought we would share with you audio of a sermon that my dad Randy gave back on August 15th of 2021 that I believe we've referenced some on this podcast and talking about being courageous and in order to be courageous or to be good you have to be dangerous so here is the audio for that sermon and this is an exhortation to be strong and courageous for God in order to maintain our nation's ability to be the shining city on a hill sending the gospel to the ends of the earth we hope you enjoy Joshua 1.9 says this, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And I'd like to preach for a while this morning from this subject, be strong and courageous. Father, we thank you for this time together this morning. Lord, I pray that you would help me to teach your word today as you want me to, that these would be your words and that Holy Spirit, that you would give us insight, understanding, and application of these truths to our lives. God, that we would be directed by you in all that we say and all that we do. And God, ultimately, we remember that we're working for the glory of your kingdom. Lord, we ask it all and give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to bring a message today that, as I, as I sent out and encourage you to be here, that's different than what I normally do. And I want to state above all else that this is going to have certainly some political overtones to it. This is a message about Jesus. It's a message about the gospel. We want to always keep that in mind in everything that we say and everything that we do. And here's kind of the way to think about it. Several weeks ago, I uh, had made uh, a post about how uh, there's a lot of people trying to change this country from what it was founded to be. And that would be very bad if that happens because this country has been the most important uh, nation ever and, and remains to be in the spread of the gospel to all nations. That, that's why I believe at the heart of why God founded this nation. It has been used far, far more than any other people, any other nation to spread the gospel. And if this nation ceases to be the nation that it was founded to be, then that ceases also. And we can see, obviously, that there is a big attack on God and the Christian church in our country. If we stop being that nation, then we stop being used as the primary tool to advance the gospel to all nations. That, to me, would be the most damaging thing that could possibly happen. The failure of the gospel to continue to be preached by this nation and all the, the various missionaries and agencies and publications and, and education and television and all those things, radio, that it supports that enables us to send the gospel to the very ends of the earth. That must continue. And in order for that to continue, we must continue to be that nation that we have been for the last, you know, 256 years or whatever it's been, 55 years. So 
that is what we need to continue. And so I want us to keep this message in that light, if you will. And this is going to be very different. And I'm just going to say this, and I might repeat this throughout. Don't, please don't be offended by it. I just have to make sure you really need to pay attention to what I'm saying today because I've got to set some things up. And as I'm going through it, you might think, what, why is he talking about this? this? What is this about? I don't understand. Please, please focus and stay with me. It will become apparent and it will make sense. And if you don't listen to my setup and explanation, then what I'm gonna, where I'm going to go with this, you, you won't, you'll miss it. You won't get it, okay? So that's going to be critically important. So do I have grace to tell you that today? Hey, class, do, do I have your permission to do that? So, and some of this is going to sound like you're going to have some questions about what's going on here, what's being presented, but please stay with me to the very end. I believe you'll see that it makes sense. So today what I really want to talk about at the heart of it is the idea of courage. I believe that we, this is something that's going to need to be a part of our lives more and more and more as we move forward as individuals, to have individual courage. Because so much of what we're trying, what we believe in the way our, our lives are being challenged. And the only way that we can stand up against it is to be courageous. And I'm going to, and I'm going to make some statements here that really aren't a part of this, but just to set this up, why I believe it's so important. I'm just warning, I'm just, I'm telling you with great certainty that in the coming elections in 2022, if we don't get some form of reasonable election integrity and security, we are in big trouble as a nation. Big trouble. That 2022 is going, to tell you, is going to tell us whether we have any hope moving forward or not. If there's election integrity, and, and then, I, then I think we, we got it shot. If there is, if we have a great lack of, you know, if HR1 or S1 passes, it, then you know that we have no election integrity. Those bills, they have all these electoral um, election procedures and guidelines and, 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 and everything. What's so funny about it is when you add up all of the rules and guidelines in HR1 and S1, they add up to no rules. All the rules add up to no rules because all it does is all those rules give a new way to cheat. So we don't want that. You don't want to see that pass. But if there is election integrity and, there's, and we get away from one party rule, and unfortunately, there's almost only one party. Even though they have a different, an R or a D beside their name, there's one party in Washington, D.C., and then about six other people. So 2022 is going to tell us a lot. I want today to examine this idea of courage. And uh, in a way that you probably have never thought before, I really need to stick to my notes here. I apologize if I'm looking down a lot more than I normally do, but I got to follow this in order to get things set up right. So we're going to look at courage in a way I promise you've probably never thought about it before. But I believe that the type of courage that we're going to look at here today is going to be required of us in order to maintain the country that our founders gave us. So why, should we think that, uh, why shouldn't we think that will be necessary? Why... Anybody that doesn't think, well, I don't understand what you're talking about. I don't think that we got to be all that courageous to maintain our country. I don't know why you would think that. You have to understand something. This country is the exception to all other nations that have ever existed throughout time. We're, we are it. We are rare. 
It's so interesting when I hear about people that are politically progressive and they're putting forward ideas that are old. The last new political idea that has been done in this world that has been tried is the formation of this country. That, that was the last new political idea. Everything else that they're proposing now is regressive. It's been tried before and it's failed. It's not, it's not progressive. We should not think that we would not need to be, to, courage, to be courageous to defend a one-of-a-kind thing in the history of the world. There's nothing else like this. Why would we not think it needed to be defended? And it needs to be defended. It's not going to just maintain by accident. And our founders knew that. They knew that this thing that they were giving us was very fragile and that it could certainly be undone if the wrong people got a hold of it. They, our founders had, knew that they had to throw off tyranny because the normal state of the world is tyrannical. That's the normal way of governments and authorities operating. We are the exception. So the whole world is different than us. Why would we not think that it's going to take a courageous stand to stand up against that when you're the only one? You should not be surprised by me standing up here saying, we are going to need to exercise a level of courage that we never have before. Our forefathers knew this was very delicate and in danger at all times unless we expressly stood up against the possible attacks. What we are experiencing today is exactly what John Adams referred to when he said, our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to govern any other. The only way they said that this system of government works is that the people running it are what? Moral and religious. Well, they're not moral and they aren't religious when they're trying to do everything they can to shut down God. So what he warned in the very beginning is exactly what we're living. We should not be surprised that we're going to have to stand up against it. Currently, we do not have a moral and religious group of people running our country. In fact, we have quite the opposite. We haven't actually had a moral and religious people running our country, not just recently. It's been a long time since we have. America America is the exception to all other nations that have ever existed. We exist on the idea of the supremacy of the individual. Well, that is directly opposed to the tyrannical, which is the normal authoritarian state of this world. The America believes in the supremacy of the individual and the God-given rights that he has. It believes in equal justice under the law, which is very different than most of the world that's ever existed. And it believes in individual liberty. Again, those are all concepts that are unique to America. Freedom that we live in, this freedom is very fragile. Freedom is incredibly powerful in what it does and what it offers when we're free, but at the same time, it is very fragile because the whole world is trying to take it away. And and there's a lot of people who want to do that. So, The good news is, as I read, we're told to be strong and courageous because the Lord our God is with us wherever we go. So we need to be encouraged by that. I'm not asking you this to be discouraged. I'm asking asking here this morning that we think about this and really take note about what's going on and how we're going to react to it. 
the beginning of the week, I wrote an article that I published on something called Substack. Substack is a site that allows journalists to publish without the limits that so many other outlets put on now on their speech. You know, you can't say certain things or you get taken down. You can't, you know, publish certain things or, it won't, or, or your, pub, your post will be removed. Substack is still a free wide open and there's a lot of big name uh, people that, that publish on Substack because they can publish and there will be zero censorship, which is the way that it's supposed to be. So I published an article on Substack and I talked about it and I won't read the whole thing. I, I was pretty excited. I mean, I'm no author. It's had, last I looked, I had 210 people that had read it. So I'm hopefully going to speak to a little bit more, uh, a few, few people outside of this room. And that's something I want to say. This message today, for a lot of you, might not be for you. Because you're at a point in life, you go, you know what? I, I'm at a point in life, this is not important to me anymore. I've, I've lived most of my life, and this is not my important. But you know what? I'm doing this because this is going to be posted online, and you should share it for a lot of other people who do need to hear it, okay? So I published this article on Courage as the first virtue. It's the first virtue. Without the virtue of courage, then other virtues can't exist. And virtues, you, there's a lot of different lists online you can find of what, what is a virtue. But they all are made up of things like kindness, loyalty, honesty, humility, self-control. These are all considered virtues. The point of my article was all those are good virtues, but none of them can exist unless you have the first virtue, and that is Courage. And why do I say that? I wrote this because I said, you must possess courage before you can show loyalty to someone who is under attack by the mob. It takes courage to stand up with that person who's under attack because you're scared of the mob. You know, you're going to be loyal to them? Well, you got to be courageous first. Um, you have, to be, you have to, be, to have courage to be honest when a lie would be more convenient. You have to have courage to exercise humility when it, you'd rather have everybody who wants to elevate you, let them elevate you. It takes a certain level of courage to say, no, I'm not going to do that. It takes courage to exercise the virtue of self-control when maybe excess would be more pleasurable. Courage is the first virtue. No other virtues exist unless you are first courageous. So we want to be good, moral, religious people. You have to first be courageous if you're going to stand up for your faith. What is courage? Courage is the state or quality of mind and spirit that allows a person to stand firm in their convictions, regardless of the potential of negative impact of their, on their physical, financial, or social well-being. Courage says, it doesn't matter what you threaten with me. Physically, financially, socially, whatever, I'm going to stand for what I believe in. That's courage, and that's what we need to be able to do. But in order to implement, here's what I really want to get across. I'm calling us all to be courageous, but I want us to do it, think about it in advance. It is too late when the time comes when courage is called for. If you have not already made up your mind and determined in your heart, I will be courageous, when that moment comes, if you have not already decided that, it'll be too late. Do you understand what I'm saying? You need to determine in advance, I will be courageous. 
I have a plan. I have my limits. I know what I will do and what I will not do. And I know the price that I'm willing to pay. And I know that if I pay this price of giving up certain things that I really need that are beneficial to my life, then I'm coming up and I'm creating another plan of how to deal with it if it happens. I, don't, I can't be caught off guard. We have two nurses that are part of our church right now in two different hospitals that are, it strongly looks like it, they are going to be told all staff must take the vaccine or you will not have a job. Well, I, I'm not going to tell people. Here's one thing I want to say, and I'm going to try to say this repeatedly. I'm not here to tell anybody what to do. That's a decision you have to make. But if it means that you end up living in our basement, then so be it. <laughs> if that's the decision that you make, but you need to determine that in advance. Because when you're put on the spot in the moment, it will be very difficult to be courageous. It's too late at that point. Are you, are you with me so far? Courage is best implemented if it is consciously determined in advance that it is of the highest importance in your life. You must make the decision in your heart and mind that as a lifestyle, you will not compromise what is true, right, or good, no matter the cost. That's a decision that only you can make, but I encourage you to make it in advance. When you least expect it, your job may be on the line. If you do not bow to an immoral demand, your children's academic future may be at risk if you do not accept the school's ungodly teaching. Your freedom may be threatened if you refuse to bow to an unlawful mandate. Make the decision that you are willing to alter your current life if necessary and plan how you can do this and still carry on meeting the obligations of the people who depend on you most. If you need me to repeat that later, you can see me after church. What I'm saying is you need to determine those things in advance. The foundation of our courage must be built on the belief there are inherent truths. There are things that are absolute truths. There are absolute good. There's absolute right. And ultimately, nothing truly good or moral can come from compromising them. There's nothing good to be gained by me compromising as we read in our preamble to the Declaration, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed with, by their Creator with certain unalienable rights among those life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That is the kind of thing we determine. These are non-negotiables. Now, you might have other ones, but that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. You have to determine to be courageous in advance. These are non-negotiable. This is absolute true, this is absolute good, this is absolutely moral, and I will not compromise them. Our nation is the greatest and freest nation ever formed. We, we, uh, it would not exist if we did not have the courage of our founders. John Can when John Hancock and the 55 other, others placed their signatures on the Declaration of Independence, they had determined in advance to act courageously. They knew what was coming. It was not a random thing. They didn't decide at the last moment or they didn't sign it not knowing what was going to happen. They knew what they were doing. They had made a predetermination to be courageous. Because this is what they said. We mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honors. They knew they were all on the line. By signing that, 
their lives were at stake. They made a courageous decision in advance. And that's what I'm talking about what we need to today. We need to have that kind of courage. So let me move on. I need to lay some things out here, and this is where you really need to pay attention, even if you feel like you're in school and you're bored, all right? I don't know, flick the girl in front of you or something if that's what you need to do, to, you know, like, like you used to do in school. You know, if, if you need to pass notes, whatever, if you need to, uh, to, to, to stay awake, all right? How many of you just curious, have ever heard of a man, man named Jordan Peterson? Man, I really got my work cut out for me. You must be living under a rock somewhere if you haven't heard of Jordan Peterson, okay? He's, in the current cultural battle that's going on, he's huge. Jordan Peterson, Dr. Jordan B. Peterson is professor of psychology at the University of Toronto. He's a clinical psychologist and the author of many best-known bestsellers. One of them is called... Uh, his most famous probably is uh, 12 Rules for Life, all right? And it's, it's huge. He's everywhere. <clears throat> um, he really came to prominence, I think it was in 2017. In Canada, there was a bill introduced known as C-16. You're all familiar with the transgender movement these days? C-16 in Canada actually made it illegal if you referred to a person, their pronoun, other than what they wanted to be referred to. So if you were a man who identified as a woman and you were, wanted to go by she, her, hers, and you could see clearly this was a man, and you said him, he, his, you could be arrested and jailed. Jordan Peterson came to light when he said, no, I will not play your game. You can lock me up. You can do whatever you want. I am not going to lie. That is not true, and I will not do it, and there's nothing that I can think of that you could do to me make, to make me say it. So when he did that, obviously he exploded to prominence among people who feel similarly, whether they're willing to voice it or not. So are you with me on that? You got that? Why that's important? Now, I'm going to show you a video of him talking here in a few minutes, but before we do that, you got to understand something else. Jordan Peterson is doing most of the speaking in this video. He is discussing something uh, that, that is put forth by a psychoanalyst known, uh, named Carl Jung, J-U-N-G, I believe Jung, like, like, not like Jung, but Jung is how you pronounce his name. He puts forth the idea that human beings and there's, it's much more complicated than this, but we have two essential parts to our being. We have our persona and we have shadow. Persona is who we present, our persona, who we present to the public. That persona is developed, one, by our own personalities, our own characteristics, but it's shaped by the environment we grow up in, our friends, our family, our education, our culture around us you know, our government and the things that they legislate, all those things 
we take in all that information and it informs us of what we think that they want us to be and then we present it back to them in a manner that they accept. That's our persona. It makes us acceptable to the world around us. Does that, does that make sense? I, I really want to know to this. This is important. Your persona, it's, it's who you present to society around you that makes you acceptable and people are comfortable with you and they like you and all that. And then there's shadow. The shadow is that part of us that maybe if we could be different than what our persona is, we would be. I, I got a shadow, folks, okay? Like I told you before, I live my whole life restraining myself from being who I would be otherwise. The point that Peterson is going to make is that shadow is not necessarily bad. In fact, in order to be courageous, it's necessary. So shadow is that part of you that says, well, everything around me is telling me I should follow my persona and do this, but I know that that's not true and that's not good, and there's a part of me that really wants to push back against that. That's my shadow, okay? This is, and I've edited this down some, but it's still about, well, and I'm not, about a 10-minute video. But before I even get that, he's going to deal with the idea biblically, at the very end of it, of the idea of in Matthew 5 where we're told, the meek shall inherit the earth. He's going to deal with the idea of meek. Now, he's going to give an explanation, a different explanation of what the word meek in the Greek means. I've done a lot of looking into this. He's not wrong, but he's not literally accurate. What he gives is a, is a pretty good illustration, not the actual meaning, but an illustration of the meaning of the word meek. And let, me, let me read this to you of what actually the word meek in the Greek means. It means strength under control. It doesn't mean as we interpret it. It means strength under control. And here's where it comes from. The Greek word praus uh, uh, pra was used to define a horse trained for battle. Wild stallions were brought down from the mountains and broken for riding. Some were used to pull wagons, some were, uh, were raced, and the best were trained for warfare. They retained their fierce spirit, courage, and power. And this is kind of shadow, but were disciplined in response to the slightest nudge or pressure of the rider's leg. They could gallop into battle at 35 miles an hour and become a, to a sliding stop at a word. They were not frightened by arrows, spears, or torches. They were said to have been meeked. So it's the strength and power and aggressiveness of this stallion under control has been meeked. That's what meek means. So we know Jordan Peterson. We got him, right? We got persona. We understand persona. We understand shadow. And we understand meek. If you only know how to behave, you're just a domesticated house cat or a, or a lap dog. Yeah. You, have to be, you have to push beyond the persona. And that's what the integration of the shadow does from the Jungian perspective. It's like to pull that monster that's being edited out of you to pull that back in and to allow that to reveal itself within your, within your 
increasingly sophisticated way of being, and then you're not just a persona. You can't escape from your persona unless you can say no. Like, here's, an, here's an example from popular culture. Um, in the Harry Potter series, Harry Potter is obviously the hero of the story. But he's touched by malevolence, right? The only reason he can stand up against evil is because there's some evil in him that, yeah. that he's incorporated, essentially. Well, that's exactly right. And the, the persona, the, the, if you're a persona, then you're an obedient citizen. But the problem with being an obedient citizen is that if the society tells you to march the Jews off to the death camp, for example, and you're obedient, then that's what you'll do. And it doesn't, it isn't like society is civilized and then all of a sudden you're performing some act of atrocity. That isn't how it works. It's like you're, you're an obedient citizen and then you're asked to violate your conscience a little bit. Yeah. And you, you have to because you don't have anything other than that persona. And so and that's obedience. And so a little more obedience is demanded. And you say, okay, well, then you're a little bent because the society is becoming a little bent. And then you're a little weaker. Then they, you're asked to violate your conscience a little bit more, and you think, well, there's a little less of me, and the pressure's on a little more, and I could have said no before, but I didn't. So you say yes again, then you say yes again, and then, and then you have a society where one-third of the population is informing on the other two-thirds. It's hell. It's like, well, so how do you say no? Well, that's the shadow. It's like, and that's, see, the reason that the video I did when, about Bill C-16 and its compelled speech provisions went viral was because I said no. I didn't say it casually. What I meant was there isn't anything that you can do to me that I can imagine that will force me to utter the words that you want me to utter. Nothing. And I meant it. And when I made the video, I think people could actually tell that I meant it. And so I took this abstract problem and made it concrete. I said no, that's not happening. And so, and that's part of the incorporation of the shadow. But in this regard, the shadow is actually benevolent, not malevolent. Well, once it's incorporated, yeah, yeah. well, that's the thing. Yeah. And, and, and I don't know what to make of that in its entirety, because it, it sort of means that if you, it means something like, because one of the old metaphysical problems is why would God allow evil into the world? I think, well, maybe God didn't allow evil into the world. Maybe God allowed the possibility of evil into the world. That's different. And maybe the world with the possibility of evil is actually a better world than the world without the possibility of evil. It's something like that, you know, in that maybe a man is better when he's a dangerous man who's being good than he would be if he was just a good man who wasn't capable of being dangerous. And I believe that because the best men that I've ever met are very dangerous men. You don't mess with them. So, and you know that as soon as you meet Do you think weak men can be virtuous? No. Because I think that when you're weak, let's say that signals that you don't have the options to sin. Right. Which is something that creates resentment, and resentment creates corruption. Mm -hmm. So in this sequence, do you think that someone without teeth or without the options to sin can be... Can, can be, be good. See, that's a, that's a real theological question, right? Because the question you're asking is, and this is tied up with the idea of free will and evil, can a person who doesn't have the option to be evil be good? And I would say no. So maybe that's the reason that metaphysically speaking, yeah. you know, and I don't know where you are when you're speaking metaphysically exactly, but the question of why is there evil in the world 
is a constant question. It's like, it's possible that without the possibility of evil, there cannot be good. Good requires the possibility of evil. And, and maybe good is so good that the fact that it requires the possibility of evil is acceptable. Maybe it's even desirable. I mean, you know, you, you kind of end, end up on the edge of your knowledge when talking about such things. But it seems to me to be right. Yeah. And it, and it seems to me right, be right in a lived sense, you know. Like, um, I met Jocko Willink. He's a good example. I mean, Willink was the commander in Ramada, I think. And, you know, you can say what you want about American military involvement. It has nothing to do with that. Really, not not at this level of analysis. He's a tough guy. I follow him on Twitter. Yeah, so you know. He, he gets up every morning at 5.30, 30. He's a tough guy. He's a, he said, he told me quite straightforwardly, that he was one of those kids that as an adolescent could have gone either way, right? Yeah. He could have been highly successful street criminal. Yeah, probably. Right? But he d yeah, probably. Well, you can see it. But he decided not to do that. And he's psychophysiologically intimidating. He's a big guy. You can tell he knows how to use it. And you can tell he used it. Yeah. But as far as I can tell, he's a good person. And that's actually, all of that capacity for mayhem is part of what makes him a good person. Yeah. And people know that. That's why they're listening to him. Yeah. And like I said, the other people I've met who, the men I've met who are good men, they're all like that. They're all dangerous. They're all dangerous. Yeah. Have they all been not good men before? Or is that not part of becoming a good man? I would say they've certainly all done things that they, that... Well, you know, adolescents break rules, right? And healthy adolescents break rules. And so then the question is, well, how extreme does the rule breaking become? Well, it would vary from person to person, but I would say that most of them, not all of them, but most of them were more on the end of the rule breaking spectrum, right? They broke more rules than normal, but they clued in, you know, and decided, explored that and then decided, no, that's, yeah. that's not, that's better than cowardice. Yeah. It's better than weakness, but it's not as good as what's good. Unless you can think the way that an evil person thinks, then you're defenseless against them because they'll go places you can't imagine and then they win. And so the best man I've met, it was interesting even when I was in junior high and high school because most of my friends dropped out, you know, by the time they were grade 10, thereabouts. And a lot of them were guys who developed physically, they're pretty powerful, and they're just damn sick of putting up their hand to go to the bathroom. It's like, you know, they're not doing that anymore. One of my friends got kicked out when he sort of challenged the gym teacher, you know, physically. And the gym teacher, he could do an iron cross. He was a tough guy, and so it was no trivial matter for my friend to stand up to him, but he got expelled anyways. But, you know, I noticed that it wasn't, it, it was often the kids whose character I admired that either quit or got expelled, and they were the tougher guys who were just sick and tired of following rules that didn't take into account their character, and then they'd go off and work in the oil rigs or whatever, and you could do that in Alberta at that time. That was really hard work, you know, so it wasn't like they were necessarily taking the easy path. But, like, a harmless man is not a good man. A good man is a very, very dangerous man who has that under voluntary control. And you know, you also see that, um, like one of the central <clears throat> female stories, let's say, um, if the hero archetype is the central male story, there are variants of hero archetypes that are relevant to women, and one of them is Beauty and the Beast. And you know, Beauty isn't interested in the guy who isn't the beast. She's interested in the guy who's the beast. 
And that's exactly right. But he, she's interested in the guy who's the beast that can be civilized and disciplined, right? And who can use that in the service, well, let's say, of a family. One of the most amazing things that I discovered this year, or stumbled upon, was I was puzzling over a line in the New Testament, which I've always been curious about because it never sat right with me. The meek shall inherit the earth. And I found out that the word meek, meek either doesn't mean now what it meant when people first translated the text, or it was a mistranslation, either way. But because meek sounds like powerless and harmless, it's something like that, right? But what meek actually means, it's the derivation of a word, it's the translation of a word that meant something more like those who have swords and know how to use them but keep them sheathed. I thought, oh yes, that's exactly it. The world, um, the, those who have swords and know how to use them but choose to keep them sheathed will inherit the world. It's like, yes, exactly right, exactly right. That was a lot. I thought about showing it twice. <laughs> Maybe we will look at it again if you want to see it again. There's a lot in that. What I want to leap off, though, from that and start by saying this. Your persona, your persona is the public face that you display to the world. It is developed over time, again, of your friends, your family, your community, church, society, all those things. But if you allow this to go far enough, then there is no shadow left. What is the result of that? You will be unable to follow anything other than your persona, even if it asks you to do something that is immoral. Do you get that? Do you get that? When we are nothing but persona, when we are not courageous and willing to say, you're going to go to jail if you don't call that man she, you go, well, then I guess I'm going to jail. If we only become persona and we no longer have the shadow, I love, and this probably connects with me and why I like that so much, every good man I know, what did he say? It's dangerous. And if you're not dangerous and if you're not capable of it, you're nothing but a house cat or a lap dog. And that's exactly right. We live, I'm off message. <clears throat> we live in a country that's full of a bunch of house cats and lap dogs. And they'll do whatever you want them to do. It requires us not being lap dogs. To say, no, we're not doing that. Now, you have to decide what that is. I'm not up here to tell you what that is. Simply not to do evil does not make us good. I loved, and that's one of the things I said, I pointed out that he was going to talk about something that is not, you probably have never heard before. The idea that there is no good without the possibility of evil. You can't say something's good unless you have the option to do something that's not good. And so as he says, he believes God allowed the possibility of evil. And it is those moral people, those people who 
have shadow left in them that has not been completely eliminated from them so that they're nothing but persona, what the public wants to see from them. It allows them to say, I can be courageous. And I have the option and I have the ability to be dangerous if you push me in it. But I'm going to operate under control, but I'm still going to be courageous. I don't know if you're forced. Judy's sister uh, has taught in L.A. Unified School District for, I don't know, well over 30 years. She was just informed, I think Friday, uh, that L.A. Unified will mandate that everyone get vaccinated who works for L.A. Unified. You either get vaccinated or you will not have a job. So she's retiring. I, I can't tell you whether that's what you should do. Because here's the thing. Chances are, living in California, she may retire and not have to get it through LA Unified, but the way California is going, in a year or two, she may be mandated to get it for some other reason and end up getting, having to get it anyways. Only th Those are your choices to make. What I know is we need to stand, and, when I, and I want to tie this back to our faith, our relationship with Jesus Christ. All of these things are going to, we're going to have to stand our ground to keep this the country that it, has, it was founded to be because there are a lot of people who are trying to change it away from being that country. And if we're no longer that country, then we're no longer the sender of the gospel to the ends of the earth. So I want to make sure that I... I, I I say this not in a purely political nationalist sense, but I say it in a sense of our relationship with Christ and our call to evangelize and send the gospel to the ends of the earth. America that, that, that they want us to be will not be able to do that and will not do that. For the United States to cease to be the United States as founded would be the most damaging thing that has ever occurred in the history of the world to all, in, in, in all nations. We, our presence brings that much good to the world that we live in. To have it no longer exist would be the most damaging thing that occurs in the history of the world. But it's going to take courage to stand up. If the left, the political left, loses power after the 2022 elections, the violence that we saw in 2020 will start up again. I promise you. Those are the things that we have to understand. If a conservative was elected president, there are so many people in places of power that would undermine everything that they did. There's, that's, that, that's no longer a guarantee. Even an election of American-minded people are no, is no longer a guarantee. I can't say to a nurse who works at a hospital who they say, you got to get, you know, you get a vaccine or else you're going to lose your job. I can't tell them what to do. That's something they got to make, a decision they have to make. I mean, for me, I probably, just me personally, I probably say, well, you're going to have to fire. I am, I'm not quitting. So you'll have to, you know, if you're going to do this, then you have to do it. I'm not doing it. I'm going to stay here, and I'm going to 
push back as long as I can. Because somebody has to. Be strong and courageous, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Do we believe that? I'm up here talking about courage, but that courage is based on the faith that we have in God through Jesus Christ. That he is on our side, or that we are on his side, really, and that he will be with us wherever we go. I'm going to give you a couple of scriptures. I'm going to show you another very short video. Matthew 10, 28. Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul but rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body. If we're going to be fearful of anybody, we need to be fearful of God, not the world. They can only kill your body. They can't kill your body and soul. We need to have an eternal perspective. And I know that's easier to say when, I, when, when you're older to have an eternal perspective <laughs> because there's not that much of this life left. But that is the perspective that we need to have. Don't be afraid of those who can kill the body, but, though, but cannot kill the soul. Hey, you can't kill my soul. I'm not gonna, that's, and that's where you know, Jordan Peter says, you can lock me up. You're not going to change me, who I am as a person. No, I'm not doing that. 1 Peter 3.14 says, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. He says we're blessed when we suffer for what is right. Do we have that opinion? Do we have that perspective that even if I suffer and I may lose my life, livelihood and my lifestyle as I know it, that because God is with me wherever I go, I've suffered for his name's sake and for what's true and for what's right, and I will be blessed because of it. Do we have that perspective? It's going to take courage to have that perspective. And you better make up your mind in advance if you have that kind of courage. Because if the first time you think about it is when you're standing before your boss and they say you're going to lose your job if you don't do this and it's something that's immoral or something that you can't agree with, it is going to be too late to all of a sudden get courage. Hebrews 13.6 says, so we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? He can only kill my body. He can't kill my soul. I'm going to show this one other short clip just as an, again, as an illustration and kind of use it to close here this morning. My name is Laura Morris. I have been a teacher in Loudoun County Public Schools for five years and a teacher for 10. In that time, I have learned so much, being on the cutting edge of educational technology and working with a diverse population of students that I have loved. This year, I have the privilege to follow my amazing fourth graders up to fifth, and I have been excited about this all summer. 
On the other hand, this summer I have struggled with the idea of returning to school, knowing that I'll be working yet again with a school division that despite its shiny tech and flashy salary, promotes political ideologies that do not square with who I am as a believer in Christ. After reading about your lack of consideration for the growing population of concerned citizens in this division, clearly evidenced by this empty room tonight where you shut the doors to the public as well as the emails sent by the superintendent last year reminding me that a dissenting opinion is not allowed even to be spoken in my personal life. Going so far as to send a form to my colleagues and I encouraging us to fill it out if we hear one another speaking against the controversial policies being promoted by this school board and adopted in this county. Not only that, but within the last year, I was told in one of my so-called equity trainings that white, Christian, able-bodied females currently have the power in our schools and that, quote, this has to change. Clearly, you've made your point. You no longer value me or many other teachers you've employed in this county. So since my contract outlines the power that you have over my employment in Loudoun County Public Schools, I thought it necessary to resign in front of you. School board, I quit. I quit your policies, I quit your trainings, and I quit being a cog in a machine that tells me to push highly politicized agendas on our most vulnerable constituents, the children. I will find employment elsewhere. I encourage all parents and staff in this county to flood the private schools. In the area. So as soon as she said the word private schools, they cut her off. I'm not here to tell you to do that. But you shouldn't be afraid to do that if you believe that that's the right thing to do. That's courage. Now, I kind of like the idea of maybe she'd been better off to stay in there and cause as much trouble as she could for as long as she could. I don't know what's the right answer. You have to decide that for yourself. But that's what I'm talking about. Are we willing to put our livelihoods and along with it our lives on the line and say, I'm not playing this game. It's just, it's wrong. You can sugarcoat it. You can sell it. You can wrap it up however you want. It's wrong. And the shadow in me is going to override the persona. The world wants me to reflect this persona and go along and make everybody happy and feel comfortable, but I know what's right, and I choose to be courageous and say no. But I don't want to be melodramatic here, but and, and obviously a lot of you are not pay, are not into this the way I am. If you don't know who Jordan. I know around here, we, around here we don't have a lot of, like I've looked for political office to run for. It, there really isn't any because everybody's already, it's already pretty much locked up with a, with a conservative. We're pretty conservative around here, okay? I'd run, I'd run for uh, the joker Rob Portman seat in the Senate, but I don't think I'm going to beat J.D. Vance. He's probably, got a, he's probably got a pretty good leg up on me, okay? Um, how many people have just? How many of you know who J.D. Vance is? Y'all people, can you turn on? Can you turn on? Okay. Okay. I'll just. Uh, you'd all like this because 
All of us, this would fit us around here. He, wrote, he became famous when he wrote a book called Hillbilly Elegy. Hillbilly Elegy. Elegy. How can I pronounce it? Am I saying it right, Cade? Hillbilly Elegy. Look it up, and you'll, you'll enjoy it. But it is about how you, write, you, can, you can overcome your limits, okay? He, he grew up in a family that had uh, institutional poverty and lack of education. He ended up, I think, graduated from Harvard Law School. Um, anyways... And now he's running for Rob Portman's seat, whose Rob Portman is retiring. Um, thank God. Because he, he, Rob Portman was one of the supporters of this infrastructure bill, so-called infrastructure bill that they just passed. What, $1.25 trillion, which is opening the door now to a $3.5 trillion package they want to pass. That's not even, this isn't even the budget, people. This isn't even the budget. And they said, oh, well, you know, the, this 1.25, it's paid for. Look, we are fast approaching $30 trillion in debt. When you're $30 trillion in debt, nothing is paid for. So I wrote Rob Portman an email. I emailed him a couple weeks ago. I said, look, we live at a time where we're almost $30 trillion in debt. We got politicians and advocates who are trying to trans your, your prepubescent kids, okay? We've got, and I just went through this whole big list of things, and I said, and you're going to pass this, you're going to support this bill. I said, and I just said, I said, I can only assume from this you're being paid off, and that's what you want to help yourself go into retirement because there is no other explanation of why you should support this. Straight, I haven't heard back from his office. Am I, am I being understood here this morning? This is not about winning a political fight. This is about being the nation that God founded this nation to be so that we can continue to be the light on a hill to this lost and dying world. If the United States does not remain as constituted, that ceases to exist. I'll close with this, just to encourage you. Romans 8, 35-39 who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to the slaughter. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have to take that attitude. God loves us, and we love the people that we want to reach with the gospel. And no matter what comes against us, we know that he's going to continue to love us, and nothing can separate us from that. We must be courageous. We must be a little dangerous. But we have to maintain. We have to be willing to stand up. Right is right, wrong is wrong. Good is good, evil is evil. And we have to be willing to say that. Be strong 
and courageous, for the Lord our God goes with us wherever we are. <laughs>